Uh, you just can't exhaust his grace. And uh, after speaking with him for a little while and was on the phone with him for quite a while yesterday, uh, God, I believe, has given some grace there. And I'm thankful for a God that we can turn to in times like that. I don't know how the world does it. I really don't. Uh, when they go through things, you know, they turn to Facebook or their friends, and what kind of comfort really can they offer? But we have a God who hears us and answers our prayer. And I'm thankful that I have a Savior that the Bible says is, is he knows. Uh, the Bible talks about the fact that he's very sensitive. He's, he understands the feelings of our infirmities. And he's been all points tempted like as we are. And he understands what we go through. And I'm thankful that we have a God like that and that loves us in spite of all of our failures. Well, let's turn to Romans 1 tonight. And I've battled with uh, the message this evening. I believe this is what God would want. I say battled with. Uh, I'm never, I never battle about needing to preach something. I usually am struggling with what not to preach. Um, but... Uh, I hope that this will be a help to some. I wondered this morning, I got through the message this morning. It was not a typical Sunday morning message. And I thought, Lord, I know this was what you wanted this morning. And I just couldn't quite put my finger on it. But I thought it just doesn't seem like a Sunday morning message. And uh, had someone as they were leaving say that that was what I needed. That was the message that God had for me. And so we don't always know why sometimes God points us in certain directions as far as what we cover in His Word. But I hope that we're always sensitive to it. Uh, the Bible is profitable to us. And whether that message applied to us this morning at this point in our life or not, at some point it will. And I hope that we hold these truths and engrave them on our hearts and take them with us. And I hope to encourage you in that. We're going to read about half of the chapter tonight, beginning in verse number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom... We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I wish that could be said of us, don't you? For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I might impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto 
that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Father, we come to you and I pray that for the next few moments you'll have your will and way in the service. Lord, I long for your power and for your Holy Spirit to lead and to direct tonight. And I pray that you would allow uh, his message and what he would want done in the hearts of men to be accomplished here this evening. Lord, I don't really care a whole lot about what I say, but I certainly care a lot about what he does in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'll do a work that when we leave here tonight, our hearts will be drawn closer to you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to love you with all of our hearts and with all of our soul, with all of our minds. And I pray that you would receive the honor and glory out of all that we do and say here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul begins this book with a tremendous salutation as he uh, begins it by saying, Paul... If you look in verse number 1, a servant of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of times Paul will open his letters as Paul, an apostle. But in this particular book, as he begins to pen these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, Paul, a servant. A servant. I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, God doesn't need more preachers. And God doesn't need more missionaries, and God doesn't need more assistant pastors or school teachers or uh, pastors' wives or missionaries' wives. What God needs is some more servants. And if God has a servant, He'll have all of the preachers and all of the missionaries and all of the evangelists that He'll need. It's amazing to me, I've, I've had discussions recently with some of my friends as we discuss things of the Lord sometimes, and It's amazing to me that when we begin to see more people leaving the ministry than going into the ministry, and we begin to see more missionaries coming home from the field than going to the field, we have to scratch our heads and wonder, I don't believe at all that it's because God has ceased calling people into the ministry. But I believe that we've become calloused of hearing and we've lost the ability to sense and to know when God is leading and directing in our lives. I reminded years ago of a man who was in our church by the name of George Gibson. At the time that I knew him, he was an older man and was retired. In fact, my sister and I, when we were younger and kids, uh, my mom and dad sometimes would drop us off at his house and he would babysit us uh, when we were younger kids uh, throughout the summer months, especially as my mom and dad were laboring in the church as they were building a church in Florida. And Brother Gibson was a dear friend of mine. He used to take us fishing. We enjoyed a lot of time with him. He's home with the Lord now. But at the time I knew him, he was probably in his early to mid-80s. I remember sitting in church one night, and I watched during the invitation time as Brother Gibson, who sat about where Brother Everett is now, stepped out of his pew as a deacon of our church and walked to the altar sobbing. My dad went down to deal with him and said, Brother George, why are you coming? And... He said, Preacher, I'm coming to surrender to preach. 
80-some years old. My dad said, Brother George, he said, you're kind of getting up in years, but uh, what, what brought this on? Why do you feel this? And he said, Pastor, I've known this since I was a young man. He said, God called me to the ministry when I was just a young man. I was just beginning with Goodyear Tire and Rubber. And a position came along in the business for me to take a large step up and an increase in salary. And he said, while I knew God wanted me to pastor and to preach the gospel for the rest of my life, he said that seemed very appealing to me as a young man. And he said, I took the promotion. He said, I stayed faithful in church, but all of these years, he said, I've known that I've been out of God's will. And at 80-some years of age, he finally came to the altar and said, Lord, you have it. It's not much to left, but you have the rest of my years. And I remember watching his brother Gibson for the next several years that the Lord allowed him in this earth as he went to the nursing homes. And every time God would give him opportunity, he would be preaching the gospel. A servant. Just a servant. God doesn't need somebody that's very talented or a great orator. He just simply needs a servant. If there was a man who was never even close to being qualified for ministry, I think we'd have to look at the Apostle Paul and say, how in the world did God ever use him? I mean, here's a man who was going around putting Christians to death, standing there while Stephen, that godly deacon, was preaching and was stoned and was consenting unto his death. And I'm certain that Satan brought that to mind in Paul's mind quite often. And I believe that's why he pinned to the church at Philippi, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward. Up forward. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Because I believe he had to put some things behind him. But he was just a servant. It's interesting as Paul goes through his ministry and you watch as he addresses the books, the letters that he wrote, in order of chronological time events of his life, you'll find that at the beginning of his ministry, he would refer to himself as a sinner. And then he would refer to himself as a a great sinner. And by the end of his ministry, he referred to himself as the chiefest of sinners. And Paul wasn't this great apostle that we know him to be who wrote most of our New Testament Because of what he was. He was what he was because of who his God was. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. A servant. It's not even our message tonight, but boy, we could take the rest of the hour and just deal with the topic of being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. They say, Lord, you are my Lord, you are my Master. What is it that you desire? I was reading Adoniram, or J. Hudson Taylor, I believe it was, his biography. He wrote a letter to his sister one time. He was speaking of the fact that the sweetest part, though one may speak of one part being more sweet than another, is the rest which full identification with Christ brings. And he goes on in the letter as he begins to talk about the sweetness of being in the ministry and serving He makes comment of the fact and the idea that the servant has no right to choose where or how he serves. That's for the master to decide. It is simply for the servant to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Paul was a servant. 
servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, in this particular book, we find a contrast of two things very sharply contrasted in the book of Romans. We find the sin of man and the righteousness of God. And they are at great odds with each other. For it is the sin of man that keeps us from enjoying the righteousness of God, isn't it? And this great battle and this great war, this great, if you will, tug of war between these two factions are found as we get to the book of Romans. And Paul says, I want to do what the master wants. I'm just a servant. And he brings us to a place in chapter 1. And throughout the entire book of Romans, you'll find this theme running throughout it. That the only way to reconcile and to bring sinful man to an embrace with the righteous God is by one thing, and that is faith. Faith is the key. Faith is what binds the sinner to the righteousness of God. And aren't you glad tonight that we're bound to Him? We've been saved by trusting Him as our Lord and Savior. And the very fact that we are bound to Him eternally, that He gives His righteousness on our account. I'm thankful for that tonight. Paul, he says, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. I'm thankful Paul understood the fact that it didn't matter whether they were Jew or Greek because it was the same Lord overall. As we go down through this chapter, we find quite a few very good things that I think are noteworthy as we get ready to look at what the Lord has for us tonight. So we get to verse number 8 of chapter 1. The Bible says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith, there's the key, the thing that's going to bring sinful man to the righteousness of God, faith. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, what? The whole world. Who are we supposed to reach in our lifetime with the gospel? The whole world. We're to do it in our generation. We many times look at the fact of sharing the gospel with those that are lost is something to be done throughout the history of man, but it's something we are responsible for in this generation. You say, Brother Greg, how are we ever going to accomplish this? By being a servant. To take our hands off of our life and say, Lord, you're the master. You're the one that speaks and I obey. Could you imagine what this world would be like if we could ever get fully to that point? If we could ever get to the place of full yieldedness and surrender to say, Lord, for He is Lord. You're my Lord. What wilt thou have me do? We get to verse number 14 and Paul says this, I'm debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. And I want you to notice the result of the fact that, so, that, that Paul had a servant's heart. In verse number 15, he makes this statement. So, 
as much as in me is. You know what Paul was saying? In the vernacular that we would use today, with all I've got. I'm not holding anything back, but I'm going to give every ounce of strength. I'm going to give every ounce of material gain that I have. I'm going to give every ounce of any talent that God has given to me. I give it all to Him. And with every fiber of my being, as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach what? The gospel. With everything I've got. I was talking with somebody the other day and asked them a question about if they were going to be at a certain place at a certain time. And uh, they made this statement. I'm sure we've all made it before. Insincerely. And they've made this statement. Well, I'll do my... But we don't ever really mean that when we say it, do we? We actually are using that as the loophole in case we don't make it. The truth of the matter is, if we did our best, we would be there. For I have found this over the years, that we always find time to do what we're interested in, don't we? We always find time. For as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? It's the power of God. We long for the power of God to be on our ministry. We long for the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and to empower us to do and accomplish His work. But I came across this verse, and I've read it hundreds of times and have memorized it as a young man, and all of a sudden this struck me. That the preaching of the gospel is the power of God. And when we preach and we take the gospel of a righteous God to a sinful man, God said it's powerful. It'll do the work. Amen? It's not our charisma. It's not our plan. It's not our method of trying to teach somebody how to go out in there and knock on the door a certain way and hold your hand a certain way and ask the right questions. You simply go and share the gospel with somebody. Tell them what happened to you in your life. Tell them there's a God in heaven that loves them that died on the cross for their sins so they wouldn't have to pay for it. The great love that God had for them even while they were yet sinners. You say, Brother Greg, why would I do that? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. It's what accomplishes the work. No words, no methods have ever saved a man. There's not one thing you or I can do to transform a life. But the gospel can. It is the power of God unto salvation. Notice that he says this in verse number 16 to everyone that believeth. Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, does it? Doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Doesn't matter if you're a great sinner or one who's been living a moral life most of your life, if not all of your life. But can I tell you this? We're all in need of a Savior. And it's available to every man. You say, well, Brother Greg, uh, what about those that are predestined to be saved or not predestined to be saved? Can I tell you this? God so loved the world 
He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's open to every man. God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. I have come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. We find here as we get to verse number 16, to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, they were his people, but also to the Greek. And boy, aren't we glad of that tonight. I'm so thankful for that tonight. God gave it and made it available to you and I. I've been studying the book of Ephesians again recently in my personal life and I love it I, as I get to that book and see as God, God enables the Gentiles to be fellow heirs. And all the richness that we have in Him, all of the promises, I'm reminded of the story that was told during Christ's earthly ministry of the lady who came to Him and He tried to turn her away and he, she said, even the dogs get to feed at the scraps of the Master's table or something to that effect. Can I tell you tonight, God doesn't make us eat the scraps. We're joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything He has is at our disposal. Everything that He has will supply all of our need according to His riches and glory. Everything that He has will sustain us and His grace is sufficient. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by works. What does it say? The just shall live by what? Religion, attending church, being baptized. Is that what it says? This was the verse that Martin Luther came across years ago. Realized that it was not by works, but faith alone. We're trusting anything besides putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we are not saved. You say, Brother Greg, I can't believe you would say that. It must be Christ and Christ alone. For he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Not by church attendance. Not by baptism. Not by our works but by the Lord Jesus Christ. I've known people that have been in church many, many years. I've known some that made professions of faith when they were younger. At the end of their life, they realized they'd been trusting in other things for their salvation. We have a lot of pride in our hearts, don't we? And our nature, our tendency, is to take the things that we do for the Lord and to bring them before Him and say, Now, Lord, after all I've done for You, now what are You going to give me? Folks, that's just pride. It's just pride. Because the very best that I can do are nothing more than filthy rags to Him. God does not deal with me because of what I do. Or what I say, that God deals with me out of the bounty of His goodness. And aren't we glad of that tonight? Without Him, we would be most miserable. We would be lost and undone. 
He is my salvation. Not just gives me salvation. He is my salvation. Without Him I have no salvation. The rest of this chapter, Paul begins to point out sin. And can I tell you this? We've lost in our day and age the sinfulness of sin. Have you noticed that? The sins that are the most despicable to us, the ones that we tend to hate the most, are the sins that someone else has. They're never ours. For some reason, we find a way to justify ours, don't we? We find a way to coddle them and say, well, it's not that big of a deal. But the truth of the matter is, every single one of them sent my Savior to the cross of Calvary. And when we look at Calvary and the ugliness and the repulsiveness of it, we begin to see the ugliness of sin. Because my sin and your sin did that to our Savior. We find as we get down here, Paul begins to speak of those who are without excuse. The Bible says in verse number 19, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. I want you to notice that what Paul is saying here is even a man who has never one time heard the gospel given to him clearly, because he is the created being of an almighty God, the Bible says here in verse number 20 that the invisible things of Him from creation are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. And this is what they understand. Even His eternal, what? Power and Godhead. You say, Brother Greg, is there such a thing as an atheist? No. You say, how can you say that? Because unless my Bible is lying, it says that even the created being who's never heard sees in nature the eternal power and Godhead of an almighty God. And they know it. They may refuse it. They may reject it. They may deny it. But they absolutely know it. The Bible says in verse 21, because that when they knew Him as God, so they were without excuse, by the way, and can I just say this, I've heard people say this before. Will those that have never heard, never had a chance to hear the gospel before, will they be saved or will they go to hell? And the truth is, they'll go to hell. They're without excuse, according to this passage. Even nature itself speaketh of it. The psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. We find time and time again in Scripture that God holds them accountable. And by the way, that's why he speaks of the watchman and the importance of the watchman not making an uncertain sound on the trumpet. Because their blood may be required in our hands. We're responsible for them. The Bible says in verse number 21, Because that when they knew him as God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. This is where you find people who say, I'm an atheist. Or I am an agnostic. They knew Him as God, but glorified Him not as God. 
And God said their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be what? Wise? Seems to be the intellectuals that do this type of thing. They think they're very wise, very smart, very brilliant. Just recently, uh, this fellow Stephen Hawking passed away, self-professed or otherwise thought he was wise and smart. But even Stephen Hawking knew, didn't he? And even if in his latter years his heart became darkened, he certainly knows now. Oh, that we would get to this place of realizing that every man has to choose for himself. We can't choose for him. All we can do is share the gospel with them. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image likened to, made likened to corruptible man, into birds, into four-footed beasts, and creeping things. We find that going on rampantly in our world today. Men who are bringing God down to their level. Who changed the truth of God, and wherefore God also gave them up in uncleanness through the lust of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Folks, this is where we find ourselves. The day and age that we live in, this is where we find ourselves. Our world is worshiping the creation more than the Creator. They're denying Him. And the Bible says that God is allowing their hearts to be darkened. But you and I are the light of the world. You and I are the ones who are to take the light of the Lord Jesus Christ that is shining in us and through us and take it to a world whose hearts are darkened. And can I tell you this? The darkness cannot stand before the light. It will always flee away. The gospel will always do its work. You say, Brother Greg, how do you know? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. It's not my power. It's not my logic. It's not my reasoning. Paul made it very clearly that he didn't come to people in the strength of argument or in the man's reasoning, man's philosophy and vain deceits. He wasn't trying to trick them. He wasn't trying to coerce them. I fear so many times that's what happens in a lot of Christian churches that people get out here and try to create some kind of froth or emotion, gets people to move when what they need is the power of God by the gospel doing its work in their hearts. It's the only thing that will transform a life, folks. The power of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of that gospel. So what do we do with it? If we're not ashamed of it, if we're ready with all that in us is to preach the gospel, what are we to do with it? That brings us back full circle. We're to be a servant. We're to be a servant when we wake up in the mornings. We take this blessed gospel that we have, that we hold so dear, with a heart that loves Him so much that we say, Lord, I'm ready with all that in me is. And I am not ashamed of it. And Lord, I want you to know that I am your servant. Show me today what you want me to do with this gospel. You say, Brother Greg, but I work a job. Wonderful. God's put you in a place of being a witness for Him. 
So we wake up and we say, Lord, what do you have for me today? I simply want to be a servant. We don't need fame and we don't need position and we don't need accolades and we don't need recognition. We simply need to present the power of God to the lost and dying world. We need to give the gospel as much as in me is. As much as in me is. Everything I've got. To say, Lord, as a servant, I have no right to choose where or how you will use me. I simply need to say yes. Can we do that tonight? Can we get to that place this week in our lives? If we accomplish it this week, can we go into next week with it and say, Lord, this week I want to be a servant once again. Going through that week, we get up the next week and we say, Lord, once again, I want to be a servant. I just want to be a servant. I've got this great gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Lord, help me use it the way you want me to use it. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father,